Could we turn in the Old Testament book of Genesis, chapter 28, please? The book of Genesis and chapter 28. Then afterwards, I'd like to have a New Testament reading from John's Gospel and chapter 1. First of all, then, in the book of Genesis, we're at chapter 28. Abraham's grandson, Jacob. He's running away from home. Genesis chapter 28. I'm sure most of you are familiar with the story, how he had sinned against his brother and deceived him, and he's having to flee from his home, probably in his late 30s at this time, maybe even 40. He's not a very young man. But in Genesis 28 verse 10, let's take up the reading. And Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set. And he took of the stones of that place and put them for his pillows and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed. And behold, a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, thy father, and the God of Isaac. The land whereon thou liest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west, and to the east, and to the north, and to the south. And in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with thee and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest, and will bring thee again into the land. For I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. And Jacob awaked out of his sleep, and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. And he was afraid, and said, How dreadful is this place! This is none other but the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven." And Jacob rose up early in the morning. He took the stone that he had put for his pillows and set it up for a pillar and poured oil upon the top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of that city was called Luz at the first. And Jacob vowed a vow saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone, which I have set up for a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. And then please, if we turn to John's Gospel and chapter 1. Well, you're turning to it if you were very... Uh, uh, if you noticed, I did say Jacob was Abraham's grandson. Now, in our reading of Scripture, it says, Thy father Abraham. In Hebrew, it may surprise you, there's actually no name for grandfather. Grandfather was to use the same term as father. So uh, that's why he's called Abraham thy father. Of course, he was his grandfather, and he knew that. Abraham, then Isaac, then Jacob. 
But we're here in John chapter 1, and we're going to read about a descendant of Jacob. Now, this is, oh, 1,200 years, maybe 1,300 years after. And yet, Nathaniel, being a Jew, would have been able to trace his family tree. Maybe you've tried to trace your family tree. I doubt it very much if you've gone back a 1,000 years. But you see, Jews at that time could, because history tells us records were in the temple, and to be uh, accepted as a Jewish man, you had to know your ancestry. Of course, being a Jew, we know Jacob was his ancestor. So keep that in mind. It's important to the story. John chapter 1, go down to verse 45. Verse 45, Philip findeth Nathanael, and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip saith unto him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him, and saith of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. Nathanael saith unto him, Whence knowest thou me? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. Nathanael answered and saith unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou? Thou shalt see greater things than these. And he saith unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter ye shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. May the Lord bless these readings of his infallible word for his glory. John's Gospel, chapter 1, and verse 51. John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 51. We will be going back to Genesis 28 a little bit later, but in John 1, verse 51. And he, that's our Savior, saith unto him, that's Nathanael, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter ye shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Let us pray with our Bibles open before us. Lord, this is thy word. Be gracious to us. Reveal the Lord Jesus Christ, the glory of thy Son, to each one of us this evening. And the way of salvation Make it, make the message clear and plain. Lord, open our understanding to the wonder of this great statement of our Savior. For it's his name and for his glory we'd ask it. Amen. Christ's first, verily, verily. Christ's first, verily, verily. So only recently I looked up and discovered that there's quite a few verily mentioned times that word is mentioned. Then I was thinking of John's gospel. John 
of all the gospel writers is known because he's in a habit of repeating favorite words, truth, life, light, believe. He repeats various phrases. Our minister has brought us through the I am statements that are mentioned in the gospel of John. And verily is another one of John's favorite words. The word verily is mentioned in the New Testament 90 sometimes, but 50 of them are in John's gospel. And then I discovered that in John's gospel, there, among the 50, there's 25 couplets, verily, verily. John's the only gospel writer that gives a double-barreled, verily, verily, 25 times. What does it mean? Verily is a word you know, amen. You could read it, amen, amen. In fact, when you read anywhere in the Bible, amen, it's the same he- Hebrew as Hebrew. What, at the beginning of a statement, what it means is this. We're used to repeating it at the end of a statement, at the end of prayer. Make it true. We agree with it. But at the beginning of a statement, what it denotes is this. The statement that's about to follow is something that is vitally important. All the Savior's words are important. But when the Savior said, verily, verily, truly, truly, amen, what follows is going to be of great vital importance to us. And this is the first one. The first one that is mentioned here, and it so is important. Now, Nathaniel, being a devout Jew, knew exactly what this verse meant. He knew what the Savior was saying when he spoke about angels ascending and descending. He knew what he meant. And it was tremendous news to Nathaniel. This was fantastic news. This was great news. Now, for you and I, not being Jews living at that time, we have to go a little bit deeper into the background to grasp why Nathaniel was so excited and so thrilled to hear the Savior great, state this great, truly, truly, verily, verily. And that's why we need to turn back to Genesis chapter 28. If you have your Bible, you might want to follow along some of the verses, or I'll certainly quote them. But here's the truth. The same Lord who met with Jacob in chapter 28 of Genesis is the same Lord who was meeting and speaking to Nathaniel. And he's the same Lord tonight who can speak to you. Don't think of Genesis 28. Oh, that's a story in the Bible. A man, oh, way back then God spoke to him. No, he spoke to Nathaniel hundreds of years later. And he's here tonight to speak to you. There may be someone here, for I don't know all of you, and as yet you have not trusted Christ. Oh, we pray that you will hear God speaking to you as he spoke to Jacob and Nathaniel. Oh, what a wonderful passage this is. What a wonderful passage. Jacob had deceived his father, lied to his father, pretended to be his brother Esau. He had stolen his brother's birthright and stolen his blessing. And Esau made a vow that he was going to kill Jacob, his brother. So, of course, his parents said, Jacob, you better flee for your life or you'll be killed. You go away to our relatives, way in Haran, that's hundreds of miles away, hundreds of miles. 
You'd better flee. And so here's this man. He, he's running away. I want you to notice Jacob is an illustration of every single one of us as sinners. Jacob the sinner. He's unregenerate. He doesn't know the Lord yet. He doesn't know the Lord. Now, he had lived with Isaac, his father, Abraham, his grandfather, we're told in Hebrews and tents. Those two men were godly. They built altars. They worshipped the Lord. Jacob, growing up through his primary school years, we would say into his teens, into his 20s, into his 30s, he had heard them pray. He knew that they knew God. Because God always said, I'm the God of Abraham and Isaac. Ah, but I'm sure that Jacob didn't know the Lord, for in verse 13, God describes himself as the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. He didn't say, I'm your God. But Jacob hadn't come to know him yet. See, you need to know him personally. It's not enough to be born into a home with Christian parents, so that's a tremendous blessing. Tremendous blessing. But just because your parents know the Lord doesn't mean you'll know the Lord. You have to have a personal meeting with Christ. Everyone does in order to be saved. That's the point. He doesn't know the Lord. And so in verse 10 to 11, look what happens. Jacob comes to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun was set. And he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head and he lay down in that place to sleep. And while that literally happened, it's figurative in a sense. It's symbolic. You see, it was nighttime. He was shrouded in darkness, not only physically, but spiritually he was dark because his understanding was dark and he didn't know the Lord. He was surrounded by desert. You say, how do you know that? Well, when you trace where this was, where this took place, it's a barren place even to this day. But not only that, when he wanted a pillow, if you're camping away and you want a pillow, you go and you pick some grass or some soft branches. No, no. He had to put his head on a stone. You know what that tells me? Without the Lord Jesus Christ, there's no real living. Paul wrote to Timothy about a lady who was dead while she lived in pleasure. She thought she was having pleasure in happinesses of the world, but really she wasn't. She was dead spiritually. Barren. And without Christ, we're barren. Dead. Shrouded in darkness, surrounded by desert. Ah, but listen, when he puts his head in that pillow, he's sentenced to death, for Esau was after him to kill him. And when we're without Christ, we're sentenced to death. Because we have sinned, and the wages of sin is death. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. And the law, as it were, is after us to demand justice for our sins, which is eternal hell separated from God. So can you see Jacob? He's an unsaved man, growing up in a godly home, hearing about the things of God, but as yet he hasn't come to know the Lord. You see, you have to come to know the Lord personally. And Jacob feels all alone. All alone. Often when God brings individuals to himself, he brings them to that place where they feel alone. Maybe you feel like that tonight. I'm all alone. 
Well, he feels alone, but he's not alone. Because later on in the story, you will find that what happened in verse 16, later Jacob said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. He put his head on the stone, and he didn't know God was there. But the Lord was there. And you know, tonight, isn't it wonderful to know God is here in this meeting? The Lord is here. We're not alone. We're not alone. Now, look what happens. Jacob begins to dream. See that? He began to dream. Verse 12, he dreamed. Now, God spoke to people in dreams that day. Don't, don't, by the way, envy Jacob. Don't please pray, Lord, send me a dream, send me a vision, because we don't live in those days. We have the Bible. This is far more sure than any vision you might get. So don't envy Jacob. But in those days, God spoke through dreams and visions. And Jacob dreams. I can't help when I read that of thinking of a story I heard many years ago. And a young man had been going with this young lady for year after year after year after a long, long time. And when he met her one day, he said, you know, last night I had a dream. She said, oh, what, what did you dream? I dreamt I asked you to marry me. What do you think that means? She looked at him and said, you have more sense when you're asleep than when you're awake. Well, one thing for sure, Jacob got more sense when he was asleep. Of course, this was supernatural. This was God. He got sense in this dream. For God spoke to him in the dream. Now look at the dream. Verse 12, he dreamed, and behold, a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven, and behold, there are the angels of God ascending and descending on it. So we've seen Jacob the sinner. But that night, Jacob the sinner saw the Savior. Do you know this dream is all about the Savior? The Lord Jesus Christ is the ladder. He saw the Savior. And by the way, you remember in John 1, what did Philip do? What is witnessing? Witnessing is showing people to the Savior, showing the Savior to them. And Philip went to Nathaniel and says, Come, we've seen the Messiah. Oh, I don't believe anything good. How can a prophet come out of Nazareth? Come and see. That's what witnessing is. We're telling other sinners, Come and see the Savior for yourself. We've met him. And Jacob sees the Savior, and he sees a vision of this ladder that reaches from earth all the way to heaven. And that's what, God, that's what the Lord is telling Nathaniel. Hundreds of years later, Nathaniel, you follow me, and you will know that I am the only ladder between earth and heaven. You see, there's a great gulf between us and heaven. Now, don't be thinking of the sky, the sun, the moon. It's not talking about that. It's talking to what the Bible calls the third heaven where God dwells. There's a gulf between us and God. The gulf of our sin. For God is of purer eyes and to behold evil. And because he is holy and righteous, he cannot just accept us into his presence. Our sins must be dealt with. So there's a gulf. And what this vision is saying to Jacob is, the one your grandfather and your father have told you about, the promise, the promised one, he's going to come and he'll provide a redemption, a forgiveness for your sins. And he is the way to meet God. He is the way to heaven. That's the message that Jacob is hearing. 
the Old Testament people were saved the same way we are. There's only one way of salvation. That's the message, that Christ is the way to heaven. He's the only way, the ladder upon earth, the top of it right to where God dwelt, the reach of the ladder. The reach was enough. And Christ is that ladder through who he is and what he has done on Calvary. Now, of course, Jacob knew that Messiah would one day suffer and shed his blood, you say, but Christ wasn't born for hundreds of years later. Of course not. But God taught them through the sacrifices. Jacob had seen his father and grandfather take a lamb, cut its throat, shed its blood, put it upon the altar. And they knew the blood never took away sins, but as prophesying that day when the perfect Lamb of God would be provided, Christ would come. And Jacob is learning here. He's learning the only way to God is through Christ, and it reached all the way. And notice verse 13, this ladder is reliable. And you see some workmen going up to paint the roof. You say, well, I hope that ladder holds them. Well, this ladder is reliable. It's more like a staircase, actually. I know usually pictures depicted as a stepladder, but really the word simply means a staircase. A staircase. And, but it's reliable, for the Lord is at the top of it. And the only link between us and the Lord is Christ. He's the only link, the only ladder. I was thinking when I was reading this passage, uh, quite a number of years ago, I was with Reverend Barnes and met up with a couple of friends. As you know, Dr. Barnes loves books. <laughs> and there was a, what they call a, a Christian resource, a, a book fair or something like that it was called. I'd been at one other, and you had all the different Christian bookshops, Faith Mission, etc., etc., Evangelical Book Publishers and various. But this year when we went, I was shocked. It's the last time I was ever there. I don't know if it's still on. This is quite a while ago. I looked over, and there was a bookstall for the Redemptist Order. They're the monks and priests of Clonard. You know, the peace people. Well, anyway, not going to all that. Politi- that's, maybe you know about all that in our history, recent history, Clonard. So me being shy and backward, I went straight over to them. <laughs> Couldn't keep me away. So I sort of looked as if I was interested. And they said, oh, oh do you know of us? Oh, yes, uh, Clonard, that's right. We've all this literature prepared for young people's groups about reconciliation and so on and so on. You know about our order? Oh, yes. Uh, is new order formed in honor of St. Alphonsus Liguri? Oh, yes. Did you know that? Oh, yes. After a few sentences, I asked him the question. He authored the famous book, The Glories of Mary. Oh, yes. I looked it up today, by the way, just to check on it. In that book, Alphonsus Liguri wrote of a vision of two ladders stretching to heaven, one with Christ on the top, one with Mary at the top. Sinners were trying to climb the ladder with Christ at the top, but they were slipping down, slipping down into hell. But on the other ladder with Mary at the top, she was reaching over and bringing them up and helping them up. And the punchline at the end of it is, what son would refuse his mother's request? 
That's what the redemptorist order teach. Now, there are different orders in the Roman Catholic Church. Some emphasize Mary more than others. But it just took a few minutes to look it up. And in many of the prayers, Mary is called, Oh, Mary, gateway to heaven. You are the ladder. No, she's not. She was a great lady. Called in Scripture the Blessed Virgin Mary. Not perpetually virgin, but... Yes, we honor her memory, but... She was a sinner just like the rest of us. No, Christ is the ladder. There's no other ladder, only Christ. We sang last week, if you remember, in our worship, remember we sang it? Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. Christ is the ladder. That's the point. And yet many people are attempting to make their own ladder and to try and climb it, the ladder of religion, the ladder of rules, the ladder of their own self-righteousness, none of them will reach. He saw Christ. Oh, tonight they would see Christ. Saw the Savior. Jacob the sinner saw the Savior. But then I want you to notice he was saved. He was saved. There's no doubt about it. That is the night that he was saved. From, from verse 16 on, it's clear in the morning he was a changed man. There's no doubt about it. No doubt about it. For God personally revealed himself to Jacob. Now, through his word, for God begins to speak to Jacob. You see that? Not just a vision, but God speaks. He talks about how, how dreadful is this place. You see, in verse 15, I should say, verse 15, he said, Behold, I am with thee. See that? I will keep thee. Isn't that amazing? I will preserve you. I will keep you. And all the way thy ghost. See, Jacob didn't keep himself. No. But I want you to notice verse 14 for a moment, the last part of the verse. I'm saying he became a changed man. Look a little bit closer how I know he was changed. The Scripture tells us. But here's what changed him. Now you look at verse 14. Thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth. But go to the end. And then thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Now note that. That's the gospel. Do you know God spoke the gospel to Jacob? You say, the gospel? Yes, it's the gospel. Because if you just hold your finger there a moment and turn to Galatians chapter 3, we'll prove it. You see, some people look at Galatians chapter 3, some people look at that phrase and they would say, oh, well, that's God promising to bless the physical descendants of Abraham, that they'll be a blessing to the world. Well, I'm not denying that. But it's more than that. It's more than that. In thee, in thy seed, Jacob, your descendant, not descendants, plural, it's singular. Because when we go to Galatians chapter 3, this is so important, and verse 8, New Testament, Galatians 3, verse 8, and the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen, now that word just means you and I, Gentiles, justify them, declare them righteous through faith. Listen, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, and thee shall all nations be blessed. And he preached it to Jacob. Verse 9, So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. 
Now, it goes on. I don't have time to go right down the chapter, but it'll emphasize that it doesn't say seeds plural, it's seeds singular. You see, that little phrase, you read on in Galatians 3, I don't have time, except look at the last verse for time of Galatians 3. If ye be Christ's, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You see, the promise is specifically of one seed, Christ. God taught Abraham. This is the greatest missionary verse in the Bible, by the way. See, when we think of reaching out to missionary work, many will think of the Great Commission. Yes, we rejoice in that. But the foundation of missionary work is actually Genesis 12, 3, when God said to Abraham, Abraham, in thy seed, I will bless all families of the earth. And when you get to Galatians 3, read it. It's one seed in particular, Christ. And Abraham rejoiced to see Christ's day. God revealed to him that one day his descendant would be the Redeemer, the Savior. It's through Christ, Abraham's descendant, and now we learn he's Jacob's descendant. The world is going to be that. Sometimes, have you ever heard somebody say, what's happening in the world today? What's God doing in the world today? Well, we know as Christians. In the book of Acts, we read where it says, God is calling out a people from among the Gentiles for his name. That's what God's doing today. He's calling out people from Brazil, from Northern Ireland, from Colombia, from all around the world. And you get to Revelation 5. There's a great company around the throne out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. And the promises to Abraham will be fulfilled. I'm saying this, that little phrase back in Genesis 28, the phrase, in thy seed, Jacob knew what it meant. That one of his descendants, a particular seed, not Yes, there were many descents, but a particular, the Christ. That's the gospel. He is the one who's the ladder. Ah, but when we Gentiles, we're on the other side of Calvary. When we come and trust the Savior as our Savior, we're brought into the redeemed family of all ages. We're in the same body of believers as Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. We're in the same body. So just let's go back to the passage. It was preached, and when Jacob, he believed it. He believed it. I have no doubt he believed it. Why? I know he was saved. Back in this chapter, I know he was saved. For in verse 18 of chapter 28, look, he turns his pillow into a pillar. See that? His pillow into a pillar. See that? He pours oil upon it. What's he doing? He's raising like a monument. You ever seen a cenotaph? (laughs) Something similar. It wasn't just little tiny pebbles his head was on. He sets it upright. And he pours oil upon it. He sanctifies it. He's saying, this is the place where I met the Lord. This is a sacred place to me. And he was worshiping and he was witnessing. He was witnessing. Because it became known that that's Jacob's pillar. He was witnessing to people, I've met the Lord. Have you ever witnessed that you know the Lord as Savior? That's what Jacob's doing. He's a saved man. Of course he is. I know know he was saved because of verse 19. There's a name change here, isn't there, in in verse uh, 19. He called the name of that place Bethel. You know, that means house of God. Ah, but the name of that city was called Luz at the first. Luz Luz means separation. When he put his head on on that stone that night, do you know what that name was called? separation. And he was separated from God because of his sin. But in the morning, because he had trusted Christ, 
I'm not going to call it separation anymore because I'm not separated from God. I'm at the very house of God, the very house of God. Isn't that wonderful that tonight, if you don't know Christ, you can know that you are in him saved? And then in verse 20, I know he was saved because he made a vow, the very first mention of a vow in Scripture. Look at it in verse 20. If if God be with me and keep me in this way that I am going, I'll give me bread and so on. If, now, that is not the if of doubt. There's no doubt about it. You say, well, why does he say if then? Why does the translators put if, if there's no doubt about it? Well, can you remember back to school? Maybe you loved algebra. Well, <laughs> some people do, they tell me. And the teacher used to go on the blackboard, now, if X equals such and such, then Y, what does Y equal? And you go, oh, right. Now, if X equals, what does the teacher mean? There's a doubt whether X means? No, no. What it means is, since this is true, then. That's what it means. Jacob is saying, since, Lord, you're going to be my Lord, you're going to keep me. You're the way, the Savior. I, I will serve you. I'm making you my God from now and forever. And he makes a vow, and the vow has to do with the tithe. I'll give a tenth to the Lord. You see, the name Jacob means grabber. He wanted, he wanted. Give me, give me, give me. Stole off his brother. Give me, I want. But he's a changed man, but now he's a giver. He's a giver. Just by the way, this isn't part of the message, but the tithe, some Christians don't believe in the tithe. I do. I believe the tithe ought to be given to the house of God. See, Bethel's the house of God. The house of God today is the local church. I do believe in tithing. Abraham commenced it. Jacob continued it. Moses commanded it. Christ commended it. Who are we to cancel it? But that's not the subject tonight, but he tithed. He says, I'm going to give a tenth of everything I own to the Lord. But now, here's the point. Jacob came to know the Lord at Bethel. Nathaniel came to know Christ as a Savior. And they both publicly professed Christ as their Savior. Jacob, yes, in the Old Testament way, before Christ came, Nathaniel became one of the twelve apostles. And they both lived for the Lord. And my question tonight to you is, have you ever come to know the Lord? Have you met him the way Jacob did? Do you know him personally as your Savior? You see, if you're not saved, you're separated from him. But tonight, this very gathering can be the house of God to you. Have you ever come and vowed before the Lord, you're my God, you're my Savior? Oh, come and trust him tonight. I finish with this. Look at verse 17. Very interesting expression. How dreadful is this place? This is none other but the house of God. Look, this is the gate of heaven. Christ is the gate to heaven. He's the ladder. He's the gate. He's the way. Many years ago, a man was trying to get to a nightclub. And they called this nightclub the Gates of Hell. Now, don't be surprised at that. 
We were on holiday in Brighton once, and we walked by a church. I was, well, I knew it was like a church building, and there was a massive monument to Henry Varley, the man that said the world is waiting to see what God can do with a, a, through a man who's totally surrendered to the Lord. And D.L. Moody heard that and changed his life. That's now a nightclub. I'll not repeat the blasphemous title they gave to that nightclub. It was so sad to see the barrels been rolled in what used to be a church. And this man was looking for a nightclub called the Gates of Hell. And by the way, there are video games on PlayStation. Some of you young people probably and older ones know of PlayStation. PlayStation has a video game called the Gates of Hell. A horror video. Some type of game. Don't know anything more about it. Well, he's looking for a nightclub called the Gates of Hell. And the story is, he was asking people where it is, and he asked this man, who was a believer, how do I get to this building, the gates of hell? And the man remembered. Down this road, there was a church called Calvary. Calvary Church. He said, oh, you want to get to the gates of hell, do you? Just go on past Calvary, and you'll come to it. Just go on past Calvary, and you'll come to the gates of hell. And if you don't know Christ as your Savior, if you go past Calvary, and you don't stop, and think of the Savior dying there to take away sin and bow before him as your Savior, you'll go on to the gates of hell. But thank God tonight, you can have the same experience Jacob had and Nathaniel had. Make this place tonight your Bethel, the gate to heaven. May God bless his word. Let's